got a lot of territory to cover. We're going to get almost 50 verses in this morning. So I promise to talk fast if you promise to listen fast. Um, we'll do the best we can to get you out of here. I'm pretty sure it's one of the Baptist distinctives, food. It's in there somewhere. I don't, I don't know how. But I'm going to get you to your lunch as fast as I can, but not too fast. So Mark chapter 5, and um, just by way of introduction, I'm going to tell you that we're going all the way through this chapter, the entire thing. So we're going to read through it as we go along. Um, but literally, just to set it up, in verse 1 it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. This is a time when they're, they're literally, Jesus has just calmed the sea, and he is moving from one place to another. And when God moves, it is always important to pay attention, because if he's moving, there's a reason. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this 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 passage, literally, and I'll get into this a little bit later, I was, I was up at two in the morning, and I knew God wanted something very specific. I said, God, please don't, don't let me miss this. Don't, I know you've got something. Show me what it is. And I'm so excited to show with you what God's message is. So let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much, so, so much for the privilege and the honor it is that you allow me to have any part in sharing your messages to your people. Lord, I pray very specifically against any diabolical powers, any principalities or powers, any, any devils that would come in and fight against this because it's powerful. It's your word. It's your power. And I pray against them that you would send your strong and mighty angels and that your Holy Spirit would bathe this room, bathing me as the speaker, bathing the listeners, uh, that we would just be immersed with you and who you are, that your word would go forth with power. Keep me out of it. I'm not worth being in this thing. So if there's something that I'm not supposed to say, stop me from saying it, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A little bit down. Okay. How's that? Good? Okay. All right. So uh, here in, in uh, my life, I was talking this morning with the, the teens about how I went off to work at a summer camp, and I like camps. Uh, and as a child, uh, Bart was sent off to a camp one summer. Uh, uh, Bart's mom took him, drove him out to the camp, and uh, Bart got out there, and it was a Christian camp. And it was out at this Christian camp that Bart would get, get saved. Any of you ever been to a Christian camp? Um, man, I worked, I went for years to the West Branch camp at the Bill Rice Ranch, and uh, I worked there a couple summers. It was great. So Bart had a great experience at camp, just like many of us uh, clearly did as well. And, uh, when, but when he came home, he came home to find out that his mother had left, had uh, left if it just gone. She took him to camp so that she could leave without it being too hard on, on her to leave him, and left him there with his father. And Bart was unfortunate in the fact that his mom had abandoned him because his father was a, a very abusive man. He was verbally abusive. Uh, he would tear him down. He would insult him. Uh, he was physically abusive to him. And, and I, I tell you what, um, you know, when it comes to natural instincts in life, you know, you got your fight, your flight, and your freeze. I am a fighter. And when I hear that, man, it gets me, it gets me riled up. Like, I can't stand it. Who would hurt a child? Um, but, but Bart lived his entire life with that man in his life. And that kind of leads us to the question of why. Why would someone be left in that situation? Why wouldn't God rescue them out of that? And we'll, we'll come back to Bart's story later to find out. But when we look in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see some amazing things in this passage. And before, really, if you don't get anything else from this message, remember this, that God is so powerful just imagine what he can do in your life and my life 
if we let him. If we don't get anything else, remember that, that God is so powerful. Just imagine what God can do in our lives if we just let him. And when we look through this passage, we're going to see four potent actions of the Savior. Four potent actions. The first of those actions is that he rescued the demon-possessed. He rescued the demon-possessed, which we see in verses 1 through 20. Uh, Let's see the nature of the spirits in verses 2 through 5. It says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had uh, been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And all his night and day he was in the mountains and in tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. So firstly, we see the nature of the spirit is that he was unclean. Uh, he was unclean, and the word unclean, it just literally means not cleansed, impure, both ceremonially and morally foul, uh, disgusting. Uh, we, where, where we live down the road in Monroe, every so often the wind hits us just right, and uh, some of that manure hits us at just such an angle in the morning, and it's foul smell. Uh, but there have been some worse smells in my life that I've smelled. And you'll know what I'm talking about when that smell hits your nose and it just curls your stomach and you have to kind of hold yourself back from vomiting. Uh, that, that's what this, this is how this spirit made this man. It made him just revulsive. Uh, he was morally unclean as well because he dwelt among the dead or, or ceremonially unclean. Uh, as it says here that he was, he was among tombstones. You know, in Jewish society, he was unclean. You weren't allowed to be around someone like that. And an unclean person was someone who was cut out and cut off. Um, he was also unnaturally strong. I mean, they, they locked him up in chains uh, and he was able to break out of them. Uh, yes, devils can do those things, which, by the way, when I was in college, I read a book called What Demons Can Do to Saints because I wanted to know. I just figured it would be a good idea to understand. And it, you know, it was amazing to me how I was reading it on our tour group. My wife and I, both separate colleges, not at the same time. Uh, we traveled around uh, with our colleges singing and representing them. And I was reading that book in the van, and it was amazing how many of the people were freaking out because I was reading this book. And I'm like, you don't want to know? I'm like, no, I don't want to know. I'm like, okay, fine. You don't want to know. I want to know. This is a passage where we can learn some of those things about it. So they can affect you in a very physical way. And you can say, see, he had this benefit. He was super strong because of it. Uh, I don't think he saw that benefit as much of a benefit. I'm just saying, whatever the devil promises you, you may get something out of it, but the price you pay for it's too high. It's not worth it. Because we also see that he harmed himself. There was self-harm. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Uh, there was, self-harm is, is at some level diabolical. I mean, and we understand that there are also certain mental ailments that, that can hit you. And by the way, mental ailments and demon possession can go together, but they don't have to be. They can be separate. When you see in the scriptures, the Bible talks about that there are different things. Um, but in this case, it was directly with him. So the nature of, that was his nature. And we see the knowledge of the spirits in verse 6 through 8, where when he worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I thee by God, for he out of the man, the queen spirit. He knew his place. The devil knew his place. He worshipped him. Was he up here? You know, did, did that mean he threw up his hands and, and, and was singing Christ alone? No. That's not what I was talking about. The word worship has the idea of a dog licking his master's hand. Um, he, he understood who he was dealing with. 
He was no equal with God. No devil is an equal with God. Now, we're not an equal to the devils, but uh, we have God in us, and he's so much stronger than the devil. I like to equate it like this. If a three-year-old came up to me and started trying to fight me, the most I might get out of it is a bruised shin, but it has no hope. If the three-year-old calls in a squad of Navy SEALs, I'm doomed. And the same way with us when it comes to fights with devils. We're like the three-year-old, and Christ is like the squad of Navy SEALs, except that's horribly underestimating the power of God. Uh, but it's kind of a similar thing. So he knew his place, and he knew Jesus' power. When it says that, he, he cried with a loud voice and says, What about I do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. He knew. He knew what was coming. So the spirit had knowledge. It was his nature. It was knowledge. And we see the number of the spirits. You say, you've been saying spirits. Yes, that's correct. Verse 9, after Jesus told him to come out, he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, in, in this particular time under the reign of Augustus, a Roman legion would have been around 6,000 men strong and would have been the premier military on the planet. That means that it was likely, we can't prove it, but it was likely by the fact that it said legion that there were at least 6,000 demons in this man. 6,000. That's how much a legion was. Can you imagine that? Imagine the kind of, uh, uh, of all-encompassing oppression over his life. That's what he was dealing with. And then we see the notion of the spirits in verses 10 through 13, when it says, And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, there were, uh, there were there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forth with... Uh, and forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swines, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So they just didn't want to leave. Uh, they, 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 they wanted to stay in that area. They didn't want to get, that was their notion. Hey, uh, they knew Jesus was going to beat them. They had no doubt Jesus was going to beat them. So they were kind of looking for a plan B, an alternate if they could, something to kind of get to the side. Because when Jesus comes up against the forces of devil, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, he is far above principalities and powers. He's not a little bit. The Bible literally says that, that he puts his foot on their neck. They, they have no chance against him. So that, that was their idea. But for all of this that the man dealt with, with the man dealt with being unclean, with being possessed with this legion of spirits, look at the new man after the spirits in verses 14 through 20. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And Jesus and messed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil, isn't that he had been, past tense, possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. So look at where this man, the man had been agitated. He had been deprived of his natural clothing and his, his normal dignity as a human being. Uh, he had been deprived of his free will. He had been deprived of his family and his friend relationships. 
community. But we see the very first thing about him in verse 15 is that he was at rest. He was sitting. He wasn't up, tormented, agitated, running around. He was just resting. You know, isn't that the most wonderful thing that Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you that relief that you've been looking for, that you need, and you're tired, and the task of the day had been too much, and it's beating down on you, this problem and that problem and this issue. Rest. He had rest. He was robed. In verse 15, he, he got clothes back. He got his, he, he got not, and by the way, these were new clothes. I guarantee you his old clothes were completely gone and shredded. And just like when, when we encounter God, he gives us something new and he gives us something better. Amen. The dignity that we get from God is not self-dignity, it's Christ's dignity. Yes. And I would rather have that dignity than any other. Uh, we were just talking this morning about uh, Wormbrand uh, in Russia. If, if you've never read the book Tortured for Christ, you ought to read it. Uh, during the Soviet Union, he was a pastor in the Soviet Union, and he was constantly thrown in prison and tortured for his faith. But there in prison, he still trusted God and, and, and never gave up his faith on God. He still had his own dignity, but it wasn't Wormbrand's dignity. It was the dignity of Christ that clothed him. Uh, he was in his right mind. Wow, was there anything better that man could have seen to be in his right mind? Um, he was released from fear, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He wasn't the one that was afraid. Now other people were afraid. Why were they afraid? He, he didn't have to worry about it. I mean, if, if Jesus could conquer that, what, what was there to be afraid of? Others were afraid. He requested to stay with Jesus. Listen, this is the natural outflowing. When you've had an encounter with God, you want to stay with him. He just, he, he, let me stay with you, Jesus. And that should be, now. if you're a human, if you're a Christian specifically, and you don't want to stay with Jesus, something's off. Yep. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean that that's not going to happen. There are times it's going to happen, but it has nothing to do with Jesus. Right. It's always us. He promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. You can go to the, the most disgusting, filthy place you can think of, do the most horrible, horrific acts you can think of, and he will never leave thee nor forsake thee if you're a child of God. That means that that distance didn't come from him. Right. It came from us. And he's always there. And God promised us, draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. Right. He's as close as our smallest effort to draw near to him. And he was restored to friends and family. This man had been an outcast. And in verse 19, he says, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. Listen, he, he got back with the people that he had been alienated from for all those times. And who isn't looking for a place of belonging? Amen. And he got all those things because Jesus rescued the demon-possessed. Not only see that Jesus rescued the demon-possessed, but secondly, he restored the diseased. He restored the disease. We're going to skip down to verse 25. Don't worry, we'll come back to the other verses. We're not going to forget them. Verse 25, the Bible says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. So she had an illness. She was sick. Now, if you're very young, you probably have no idea what this is like. You might, but you probably don't. We who are getting a little older, I'm not that old. I put the blonde on my hair to hide the grays. Um... The older you get, the more you just, you're, you're sore and you have hurts and aches and problems and, and, and those injuries that you thought were nothing in high school suddenly come back uh, or you have sicknesses. 
it becomes a big deal. She had an illness. But this illness in particular meant that she was isolated. She was isolated. It says specifically that she had an issue of blood. You see, why would this have isolated her? Because in Leviticus 15.25, it says, And if a woman have an issue for separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. That meant that anybody who served Jehovah could not be in close contact and fellowship with her. Now, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people like, man, I need the handshakes. I need the hugs. I need the contact. She couldn't get that. Anybody who did was unclean too. And you know what? They couldn't get it either. Are you seeing this pattern of isolation? The devil-possessed man was isolated. This woman was isolated. I'm telling you right now, God understands the isolated. And if you feel isolated, he knows how you feel. And actually, he knows how you feel more than you realize. He's been more alone than you or I ever have. You say, why would you say that? Well, because remember, God promised us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But Jesus was honestly able to say on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God pulled off all of his restraining power and just let sin ravage Christ. And that's something you and I have never experienced. He knows what it means to be alone. Her disease was intensified. Verse 26. And had suffered many things, many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Have you ever been trying to get something fixed, and it just doesn't get better, and in fact just goes the other way? Uh, My wife... Uh, and I, for years, spent many, many, many times in emergency rooms. I don't know how many times. Do you have any idea? No. We, we don't know how many times we were in emergency rooms, going there, trying to figure out what was wrong. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. And she was just constantly in this pain, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And it literally wasn't until finally, one day after about, I don't know, three years, four years of dealing with this problem that we finally got relief from her pain. We found out that she had issues with her gallbladder, but they weren't presenting normally. The doctors couldn't figure it out. We had one of the premier doctors on the West Coast uh, look at her. We were told she was the best endocrinologist you could possibly have. And she couldn't figure it out. She's like, I don't know, maybe try a, a, um, ginger or something like that. <laughs> wasn't helping. Uh, but literally to the point where she couldn't eat. She would, I, I really thank God for what he's given us in modern medicine because I guarantee you had my wife had this 100 years ago, she would have died. She couldn't eat or drink anything. But through that time when she, was got, she, she grew worse and worse and worse. And that's what happened with this lady. No matter how many times she went to the doctor, she just got worse. And you know, I liked her. She was impertinent. <laughs> she was impertinent. Look at verses 27 and 28. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. You say, well, why did this make her impertinent? Um, she was unclean. She wasn't supposed to be around people. She was supposed to be separated and off on her own. Every single person she bumped into in that crowd, she made unclean touching them. And she should technically have made Jesus unclean by touching his garments. But you know what? It doesn't work that way. The moment our, uh, uh, our vileness, our wickedness, our sin, our injuries, and our illnesses touch him, he obliterates them. Amen. He is the opposite of what happens to all of us. We are tainted by sin, and he is the destroyer of sin. And Christ never let tradition stop him from doing the right thing. Right. 
Never. How many times did he heal someone on the Sabbath? I'm sorry. I think he did it intentionally sometimes. I really do. He's, he, he like, I think he's like, yeah, I know there's going to be some uh, Pharisees over there. And like, yeah, I'm going to make that guy walk. <laughs> um, he never let tradition stop him. We should never let tradition stop us from doing something that is right either. So this isn't the right time for that. So? So? Christ didn't let stop him. When someone needs help, hello, that's why Christ put us there in that situation. Um, her healing was instantaneous. It was instantaneous. Look in verse 29. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Man, when you've had an illness, and, and again, I've never had this, but like through my wife, I'm telling you, just the hope of healing was so powerful. And then the moment it came, the relief that you gained from that, can you imagine that moment for that lady? All of the isolation, all of the pain, all of the problem that was caused by it, gone with a single touch. Christ's interest was arrested. This is so cool, verses 30 and 31. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, uh, Thou seest the multitude thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? <laughs> Hello? I think we all touched you, Jesus. But when, when Jesus impacts our lives, his attention is on you. The God who created everything, keeps it all intact, is paying attention to you. And, and, and it wasn't just arrested. It was intense attention. Verse 32, and he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. People were trying to stop him. He's like, no, I'm going to find this person. When Jesus looks to find you, you will be found. Right. You say, I'm alone. Oh, he'll find you. <laughs> he will. He will never stop looking. Her courage was very impressive. Wasn't her courage impre- impressive? Look in verse 33. But the woman fearing and trembling, so she's afraid, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She could have hid. She could have succumbed to the fear, but she chose to have courage. By the way, courage requires fear. Courage is the overcoming fear to act anyway. She overcame her fear and came to Jesus. Listen, God does not get angry with us when we take advantage of his goodness to better our lives. He's not a perpetually angry God that we need to live in abject terror of. He wants the best from us and and for us, even if it takes years, disappointment, frustration, financial ruin, and suffering to get us there. He's a good God. And he just wants to help. And and much was included in her deliverance. Verse 34, and he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. See, there's a lot there. There's a ton there. She was adopted into God's family. What do you call her? Daughter. That's it. New family. Congrats. Welcome in. You got a new dad now. You got a new dad. Uh, She received forgiveness of her sin. It says, thy faith hath made thee whole. You say, how do you know that wasn't talking about her healing? Because that happens later in the verse. She received forgiveness of her sin. By the way, I want to remind you that it was faith that delivered her. It wasn't an act. She touched Jesus' robe. It was the righteousness that went out of Jesus that healed her. Right. It wasn't something she did. She obtained respite and peace. There it is again. Sing a pattern. Go in peace. Yep. 
And then she was healed and be whole of thy plague. Man, Jesus sounds like someone I want to be around. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, so we see that, that he rescued the demon-possessed. Uh, he restored the disease. Thirdly, he revived the dead. He revived the dead. Let's go back to 21. It's right after uh, uh, he's, he, he's cast out the devils, the demons. And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and, and thronged him. So we see that he begged for assistance. Man, he, he begged. He wasn't too proud. How many times do we have a problem, and we're just too proud to ask for it? Even to God. The Bible says, confess your faults once another. So I'm going to confess my faults to you. I am the kind of person who believes in resilience and in innovation. So if there's a problem, I will try to think my way around it. I, I just, every time, that's just how I operate. Okay, so I'm having this problem with this bill. What can I do to make more money? Uh, can I work something out with them? That's just how I roll. It's my thing. And it's fine. It's not wrong to do that. It's wrong to do that and not go to God with it. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, he didn't do that. He, just, he begged God for assistance. And what did Jesus say? No. Do it yourself. Go see the do- No. He didn't say any of that. Jesus went with him. Jesus accompanied him. Verse 24. And Jesus went with him. Don't you want Jesus to go with you? Into whatever fire you're walking into, don't you want Jesus there with you? He did. And there's two. Uh, really, after that, we see that they were delayed. Because I don't know if you noticed, but all of a sudden, we're back to verse 25 where we're talking about the woman with her issue of blood. They were delayed. Why? Well, there's two lessons we can really learn from the delaying. Firstly, uh, we learn that God has time to help you. He has time to help you. So this was a ruler of the synagogue. He didn't have time to help me. Uh, the, the woman got help. The outcast woman got help. And it, God is not too important to help you. And he doesn't view another human as too important to help you. I can tell you how many times I have people say, well, I don't want to talk to the pastor. I know he's busy. That's why we're here. That's right. We are ministers. We're here to help you. God does not pick one person over another and say, I'll help you, but not you. I have time for this one and not that one. Nope, God has time for every one of us. The second lesson, though, and this one's really interesting, there almost seems to be a nonchalance with Christ regarding death. Uh, he before coming to Lazarus. He allowed a delay when coming to Jairus' daughter, and he remained in the tomb for three days because it's so much more powerful than death that dealing with it's like child's play for him. Seriously, it's almost like, why aren't you in more of a hurry, Jesus? Didn't you get, this is the biggest crisis here. She's going to die. Yeah, okay, we're going to stop. We're going to help this lady over here. And yeah, and sometimes it's frustrating for us to be in the position of Jairus and say, well, God, why are you helping that person and that person and that person and that person? He didn't forget you. He's just so much in the thing that we view as insurmountable that to him it's like nothing. He's like, I got it. I'll take care of it. So he gets delayed. And then in verse 35, we pick up that they were devastated. Well, he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? It didn't work out. 
the, the deliverance they were hoping and holding on to did not come. They were devastated. But you know what happened after that? Jesus doubled down. Verse 36 to 38. And as he heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of Jesus. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. How did he double down? First of all, by comforting. The very first thing he did was to comfort the man. The Bible calls God the God of all comfort. There is no comfort that occurs apart from God. He said, man, I, just, I heard this song, and it helped me. God was in it. Someone said something to me, and it really helped. God was in it. Someone came up and sat down next to me, said nothing, and put their arm around me, and it just helped. God was in that, too. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of times, and a lot of trials, talk about God being silent. I can't hear from God. I can't hear from God. In the moment of my greatest sadness, I can't hear from God. Think about this. The Bible tells us that we have a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. Right. So if you've suffered a tremendously devastating loss for which there are no words for help, why do you think that God as a good friend, would come and say words which aren't going to be helpful to you. You say, well, he's God. Yeah, I know. But God also knows that sometimes the best comfort is just to be there. And there have been many times that God hadn't said anything to me, but if I've paid attention, I could feel his presence in one way or another. That's how amazing God is. That's why the Bible, in many of the names for God, one of my favorites is Jehovah Shammah. That means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. So with his comfort... He doubled down on his coaching. You say, what do you mean? What's it? Verse 37. He, he, nobody got to follow him except Peter, James, and John. He said, okay, so you three here, I need to keep working on you. So look at this. He's just healed this lady. He's in the middle of dealing with the situation with Jairus, and he's also thinking about coaching up his three main leaders in his group. While he's doing all this, I told you, it's time for you, no matter where you are in the situation. And by the way, he doubled down by continuing. Now, maybe I would have turned around and said, well, never mind, it's over, we're going home. But Jesus didn't do that. He continued on to the house. He kept going. And then in verse 39, he made a strange declaration. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. She's dead. And God was like, well, maybe she would be, but I'm just calling it a nap because I'm about to wake her up. Right. <laughs> It's not going to last. He was determined. Verse 40, and they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered into where the damsel was lying. He kicked them out of the house. He said, get out. We don't need this kind of negativity in our lives. <laughs> um, seriously, he said, we don't need this right now. Go, go, get out. And then he takes Peter, James, John, and the parents and says, come on, let's go into this room over here. He was determined. He wasn't going to let anything stop them. And I oftentimes think that we don't see the greatest blessings of God because we don't continue in his determination. I'm not going to read it right now because I don't have the time to, but you should look up the, the poem, Don't Quit, because uh, it talks about how people come so near the finish line and quit, and they could have won if they just made it a little further. And God, a lot of times, will follow God so far, and then all of a sudden we stop and we miss it, because we didn't continue a little further. He was determined. He defied the last enemy. Verses 41 through 43. 
And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose. There's that word again. Straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightway that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Look, he, he defied death. You say, why did you call it the last enemy? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I hate death. I hate death. Death takes away everything that I care about, everyone that I love. At some point, we will all face death. But Jesus will defeat it. And in that day, he was defiant in the face of the one enemy none of us ever beat on earth. Because that's just how powerful he is. So thinking about this, that firstly, he rescued the demon-possessed. Secondly, he restored the disease. And third, he revived the dead. We see, fourthly, the fourth potent action of the Savior is that he was restrained by disbelief. You say, what? Wait, wait, wait. Did Jesus just cast out a demon? And then this woman who had an incurable disease, he cures. And then someone who, who was dead, he raised her from the dead. What do you mean he was restrained? Look in chapter 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what was given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his... Not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Simeon, are not his... Here with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Look at verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Say that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the village's teaching. Let's examine their advantages really quickly. Firstly, there were his people. Verse 1, he went out from thence and came into his own country. These were his people. That means this can apply to us. We're his people. They were under his teachings. Verse 2, and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Um, we're under his teaching. Are we not? Yep. Uh, they knew him. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Johnson of Judah and Simeon are, are not his sisters here with us. Uh, if you're saved, you know God. Personally. They were related to him. Uh, verse 4, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin. We're part of the family of God. You say, I, I, I would never do this. Be really careful throwing the words out, I would never. Because even as a Christian, we can find ourselves in this exact same position. Where the God who casts out demons and cures incurable diseases and raises the dead can't do a mighty work through us. Let's avoid their errors. You see, Christ still worked in a massive capacity. In verse 5, it says he could do no mighty work. that He laid hands on a few sick folk. Like It's not like God didn't do anything. And, and that's important to remember, too. That just because we're messing up and doing, it doesn't mean that God won't be good to us. Uh, the Bible tells us that even if we believe not, yet he, he cannot deny himself. He said, God, because that's who he is. We just might not be able to receive as much goodness from God as we could if we would just receive his power. But he'll still do some good things. Uh, Christ was sadly impressed by their doubt. He marveled because of their unbelief. Like, I, don't, I don't get this. What does it take 
to get the God of the entire universe, the Savior of the world, to marvel this, this unbelief, that made him, I don't, that makes God go, huh? Why? What is going on here? Because of unbelief. And the really sad part is that Christ moved on. He went round about the villages teaching. Listen, God won't leave us or forsake us, but God wants to work. And if he can't do a mighty work in us, he'll do what work he can and move those mighty works where he can. Um, you know, Bart... Bart had this horrible life growing up. And after his dad abused him one day, he ran out of the house, graduated high school, and went off on his own. And he joined a band. He was able to sing. And uh, so he started this band. And they were kind of going around. They were trying to get started. And uh, it was this real long, hard road. And in the, in, in the process of trying to get out there and get the music out there that, that he felt God had put in his heart. He kept being told, listen, Bart, it doesn't seem real. It's like you sing this, and I believe this is really God in you. You sing this, eh, you need to focus more on this. And finally, it came down to something. Bart, you need to go home and you need to deal with your dad and your relationship with him. Now, if you have ever been abused, that's not an easy thing to ask. That is a horribly difficult thing to ask, to go back and face the person that abused you. So Bart went home. And when Bart got home, he got in a pretty big fight with his dad. His dad had written him, but he wouldn't read any of his, his letters because he had not been able to forgive his father. And I don't blame him humanly. I think I'd have trouble with that too. But as he stormed off, he found a pamphlet in his dad's truck, and he found out that his dad had terminal cancer. And the thing is, his dad inside had been talking about praying over the food and was acting different. It wasn't being abusive. He didn't understand what had happened. His dad, since he left, had gotten saved. And God was starting to change him. And when Bart realized that, it completely changed everything about how he viewed his father and, and God's relationship to him. But obviously the cancer was terminal, so Bart's father would go on to die. But I will say that at least Bart got the chance to forgive and make up with his father. And in the aftermath of his father's death, he wrote a song. And his... Uh, Amy Grant was supposed to headline it and open it up, but he got up on the stage, and Bart started to sing words you've probably heard before when he said, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. You know this song? I can only imagine what all I will do is forever, forever worship you. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart see? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? He wrote the song, I can only imagine. They made a movie out of this. Story doesn't end there because this is literally going to bring us all right back to here. He, he, he wrote this, this song, and we all have heard of it. It was, it was a top 100 on secular music boards. People knew this song. Fast forward years later to my dad's death three years back. I'm walking around at 5 in the morning at about 12 degrees in Fresno trying to figure out what God wants me to preach for my own dad's funeral. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm listening to music as I'm walking, and, and this song comes on. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this song, God directs me. And I didn't know any of this about Bart, by the way. I only knew the song. God leads me to this song, and all of a sudden, God leads me to the passage. I walked back home and just put that sermon, wrote the sermon, came out, and God worked so powerfully through that. While we were up there, my wife's illness got way worse. I mean, came almost to the point of critical mass, 
And that's when we finally found out what was wrong with her. Came home, and two weeks later, we came, it's like dad was funeral. We came home, we buried him the next week. The next week, emergency room and surgery for the wife. Great times. <laughs> um, she got her surgery. It was taken out. I'm sitting in there, and I was, oh, yeah, they made this movie, and the TV in the hospital has this. And I started to watch it. And I got to the end, and I realized, wow, he wrote I Can Only Imagine about his father. And so I woke her up because I was bawling about it because my dad died, and God used the song to you know, honor my father, and, and I'm, I'm bawling. And I didn't really touch the movie for three years later because it was so impactful to me. And literally a few weeks ago, I started watching it again. And I got to the end, and I realized the point of why he wrote the song and the point of why he made the movie. And this is what he says. If you ask Bart Miller of Mercy Me why he wrote it, he said, my dad was a monster. There is no other way to put it. And if God could save and change him, there is nobody that God can't impact. That is the moment I said, God, I don't know what you're, what you're trying to give me, but don't let me miss it. And he led me here to this right here today. Listen to me. The same God who cast a legion of demons out of a man, who cured an incurable disease, and who raised the dead wants to do those same things in you and in me. He wants to display his power. And the only thing that stops him from doing that right. is our disbelief. He'll still work in your life. He won't leave you or forsake you. But he wants to do mighty works through you and me. What would happen if we would just believe that the God who does those things wants to do it in us? I can only imagine. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say, you know, Brother David, I, I've got a problem in my life and I, I, I just, I, I've never really thought I could really see victory. But I realize that I need to trust God with it. And no, God may not deliver me from it. He didn't deliver that guy in Russia from it, but he wants to deliver me even if he delivers me in it. And you would say, hey, I, I, I need to go to God and believe him that he can change this. Maybe this morning you would find a moment to pray and ask God that. Maybe you've got this sin in your life that you don't feel you can beat. God's more powerful than that sin. Don't doubt. Maybe pray and ask God to show you the path to victory. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I, I don't know God. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been in church my whole life, but I want to talk about the life you're talking about right now. I want to see a victory life. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, let today be the day. Let today be the day when you cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I deserve every punishment coming to me, but I also believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you defeated death by raising from the dead. And I ask you to be my savior, that I would live that life. I can only imagine what God's going to do with you. Let's take a moment and, and pray.
Father, thank you so much for being good to us, whether we deserve it or not. Thank you so much for, for the mighty works that you've done as a testimony to us and that you want to do through us. Father, I do pray that if there is anyone here who's not yet trusted you as Savior, today will be the day that they would trust you. And Lord, for any of us who are Christians and believers, that we would heed the warnings of these people in, in the sixth chapter and, and not doubt you, but trust and come to you and dare to imagine a life of faith that's impacted by you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for what you did in Bart's life and his father's life and help us to go forth in victory this week. In Jesus' name I pray.